there are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Yeah, good morning. Welcome back to 2018 edition of Hi-Fi Radio on Global News Radio 640 in Toronto. Producer of the show, Jack Hartle, is in the house trying to stay warm. Your host, Wolfgang Klein, moi aussi. And we got ourselves a strategist in the studio, John Johnson, good friend of mine, Davis Ray, chief strategist, going to kick off the show with us. We're then going to talk a little bit of financial planning. If you are retiring in 2018, you want to pay attention to today's show. Mike Bellamy is going to talk about what you need to know. And we're going to end the show off with a discussion about condos with the world's best lamb, Brad Lamb. But let's get over to John Johnston. Uh, welcome back to the show for 2018, John. Real pleasure to have you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to you, too. So uh, you're the chief strategist with Davis Ray. We've had you on the air a number of times, and you and I, way back when, worked at one of those big six Canadian banks, which is how we became good friends. And I've always had a lot of respect for your thoughts on the market. Um, you seem to have a pretty good crystal ball. So uh, loosely, what's in store for 2018 in the world of uh, high finance? Well, I certainly think we're coming into the year on a quite a good note. Um, I start with the economy and work my way up. Uh, I, I, what I see happening and what I've seen for a, more than a year now is a pretty good global economic expansion taking hold. Seems to be broadly based across countries, broadly based across sectors. Uh, and when you have kind of a broadly based expansion, it's pretty hard to knock it off path. It has a sustainability and a durability. So uh, unless there's a big accident, I think for most of the year 2018 is going to be pretty decent for economic growth. Uh, that tells me the general outlook is pretty good for earnings, corporate earnings, uh, and for commodity prices. You know, over you know periods of six months, twelve months, it's the, uh, the demand side that drives that, and global economic growth drives commodity demand. So I certainly think as we move through 2018, there's a positive bias to commodity prices. Uh, we'll get some upward pressure on inflation as a result of higher energy prices, higher food prices. I think, uh, so the headline measures will go up. They may go up, you know, an uncomfortable amount. But uh, I certainly think underlying inflation is going to be pretty decent and pretty stable. Uh, one of the things that's been a big surprise for a lot of people so far uh, in this economic expansion, partly because it's been a bit slower, is that inflation is remain low. And there's some global factors at work creating some headwinds for inflation. I think they're going to stick around for a while. So I'm not in the camp where I think inflation is poised to pick up. It may go up a little bit on an underlying basis where you strip out food and energy to get the underlying trend. But uh, I think overall inflation is going to be reasonably low. Uh, short-term rates go up a little bit, probably not in Japan, not in the UK, not in the euro area. Uh, but certainly in the US, I think that uh, you know Janet Yellen's outgoing set of dots on her uh, projections shows three rate hikes this year. And that seems like a reasonable place to start. I was in the camp of two. Now we've got a bit of fiscal stimulus, so I'll add one and kind of fall into line with the Fed. Uh, in Canada, maybe we get one. Uh, I think that the, the outlook I've got for commodity prices means upward pressure on the Canadian dollar. I think Steve Polis and company lean against that a little bit, so they lag the Fed. Uh, so short-term rates up a little, uh, not hugely so. Uh, not to a level that I think creates problems for the economy or the markets too much this year. I think that's more of a 2019 story. Uh, I think that 
PE multiples are pretty high, and they're probably going to drift lower between now and the end of next year, although uh, now and the end of this year, but they may go up more in the short run. And one of the concerns I have is that we're moving into uh, maybe a boom-bust scenario, because I'm hearing and I'm seeing evidence that, you know, we're kind of into one of those melt-up phases where things really get going. And usually melt-up phases are followed by nasty corrections. When hmm. we do get a nasty correction, it's not going to be, I don't think it's going to be this year in the context of an earnings or an economic recession. So it's, you know, a 10% decline in equity markets. I think we need to move towards an environment where we're going to see more doubt, evidence that earnings may actually start falling. And once again, that's more, I think if it happens, it's going to be more something to worry about later this year. Uh, equity markets and bond markets will anticipate that if it's going to unfold in 2019. Uh, and that's something for later this year. But for the time being, I don't think that uh, other than, you know, flushing out some uh, excesses in the market, we're going to see too much. But I certainly think compared to last year, where we saw relent unrelenting gains over most of the year in equity prices, this year will probably a bit, be a bit more volatile. And I think we need to keep an eye on geopolitical risk. That's one of the things I'm worried about. Hmm. And we also have to keep an eye on the Fed because starting in early February, it's a new Fed. Uh, you know, Jerome Powell takes over. He's a Trump appointee. Uh, the general consensus I get of people seem to think that he'll either be yelling or he'll be tougher than Yellen, that mm -hmm. he's going to worry more about financial excesses. Uh, I worry a little bit, too, that he's a Trump appointee, and Trump likes his appointees to be loyal. He's a real estate guy who likes debt. So he may be, you know, he may get leaned on with some of the new Trump appointees uh, to not do anything. Okay, so JJ, you took us around the world in about I don't know, three minutes. Uh, you covered off, I think, about 14 asset classes. Uh, as such, I have about 18 questions for you. Jack, how many questions do you have burning through your brain right now for JJ? Uh, we're going to have to look at them at a commercial break, I think. Yeah, there's, there's, quite, a, there's quite a few. There's a lot. But my first question for you, JJ, is uh, we're Canadian. We are therefore hooers of wood, drawers of water, as I learned in economics. 101, I guess it was, Jack, eh? And um, last time we had you on the show, you were bearish on commodities. You said we are in a secular bear market for commodities, which means a long-standing bear market, uh, decades perhaps, with cyclical rallies. Uh, so uh, you opened the show with saying that you like the commodity market. Uh, obviously, copper's over three bucks, oil's over 60, gold's sort of stuck at 1250. It's, it's competing with cryptocurrencies right now. Um, food stuff seemed pretty soft, eh? Like other foods I've seen, grains and the like, they've been uh, hammered. So let's talk commodities as such because it's so important on Canada's economy. Yeah. I have to admit, I'm a little more agnostic now about whether we're in a cyclical bull market for commodities, and hence a cyclical bull market for the Canadian dollar, or whether maybe the secular cycle is shifting a little bit. Um, I think I'm going to lean more towards the cyclical story rather than a change in the secular story for the time being, because mm -hmm. uh, it's a way of keeping my expectations. So you're going from the check. left to the middle, you're not crossing the... No, no, line, um, but certainly the... the Cyclic, I'm in your camp, by the, the way. The cyclical economic environment's pretty good. It's pretty good, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I tend to treat commodities in a bit of a, uh, as a bit of a single item, and then I tend to break out oil and the metals, which are the things that we tend to look at, and maybe a bit of gold. But uh, I, think, I think certainly the environment is quite constructive for those. And, uh, you know, I'm not a gold bug, but it certainly looks to me like gold maybe is starting to find its feet, maybe mm -hmm. a bit slow for a while. Uh, it is competing with the cryptocurrencies, uh, but I think it should start to catch up a little bit um, on, on that front. But I certainly think oil looks good. And given that a lot of the geopolitical risks this year seem to center in the Middle East because you're setting up these big players, 
jockeying for control. The U.S., you know, where the U.S. stands is, is a little more aggressive in some instances than in the past. And mm-hmm. you get problems in the Middle East, oil's going to go, yeah, really right. go. So, 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 JJ, it's going to be stocks versus bonds, uh, Europe versus Canada versus the United States right after commercial break. Folks, stay tuned. Lots coming up. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Yeah, welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio 640 in Toronto. A little touch of grave, Grateful Dead. Never big fan, but our host, or guest, I should say, John Johnson, has seen the Grateful Dead how many times, John? Uh, not as many as a lot of people think, maybe 40. <laughs> oh, you're a newbie to the Grateful Dead. Yeah. Anyways, uh, look, we got a lot of questions we're going to ask you. So my, my first question to you is, uh, Jack and I, in our portfolios, are, I'm going to say, underweight Canada, overweight America, and we've built a position across the pond in Europe and the Far East uh, from an equity point of view. Uh, from, a, from a bond point of view, we actually have a global bond portfolio massively underweight the Canadian debt market and therefore over the international debt market, uh, although we are underweight debt relative to equity. So uh, from an asset mix point of view, uh, how, how would you uh, attack 2018? Well, I, I th- I'm not thrilled about bonds. Uh, I think the economic environment we're talking about suggests that bond yields will probably drift a bit higher over the... I'm kind of a three to six month guy on this stuff. So yeah. I think the bias is, yield, you know, 10-year yields flat, or flat to higher. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of risk in bonds over the long term. No doubt. Uh, and you're not getting compensated. For and the rest, corporate yeah. spreads are tight everywhere. And irrationally so, I think, in Europe because of the activities of the European Is there still Bank. negative yield in Europe, guys? Uh, in on government s- bonds, for sure. In some, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you've got high-yield bonds in the euro area, euro-denominated high-yield bonds that are trading almost flat to treasury. So wow. I'm a little uncomfortable with that. Yeah, which basically <laughs> means you've got a corporate piece of paper that's trading with yeah. the same credit risk as a government. That, that's obviously not the case, so yeah. not being compensated for it. Yeah, I, as we go into uh, this year, I'm inclined to focus a bit more, you know, making sure the bond portfolio is high-graded, so room for you know ratings to drop a little bit if there's some turbulence. In the, in the but, economy. Yeah. Yeah, um, So uh, investment grade may be very select, high yield, where you like the names and like the themes. We tend to be more Canadian and U.S. focused in bonds, but certainly bonds underweight relative to equities for the time being. Yeah. Maybe building up some cash over the, the course of the quarter. How much uh, cash would you? Uh, I don't know, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm more of a, I'd rather have be, you know, five points underweight bonds and five points overweight, overweight cash. Overweight yeah, cash sense, because, yeah. you know, as central banks raise you know, you, what are you getting? You can get, you know, some, you know, one-year investment-grade corporate paper in Canada for one and a half, which isn't so bad. Eh? And uh, <laughs> I can retire on that, eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, sure. You can't, so, you know, let's but, talk about the equity. The bond market yeah. is boring. Uh, um, and Jack and I are underweight the debt market. Unfortunately, we have clients where we do have to have some fixed income for. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you want to make sure it's high-graded stuff. But on, on the equity side, uh, which is your favorite market, uh, second favorite and third favorite? Well, 
Longer term, I actually quite like Europe and the Far East, as, as you guys indicated. Yep. You know, markets are expensive generally, but when I look at what I can purchase with my Canadian dollars, the Canadian dollar has some decent purchasing power uh, <laughs> against, this against Europe, yep. uh, particularly the, the UK pound, which has been really beaten down yep. and is now at levels consistent with where it was in the late 70s, where the IMF bailed them out, uh, or against the US dollar in the early, early 80s. Which means if you take European or emerging markets uh, equity exposure, you're going to want to be unhedged. Unhedged. Right. Uh, take on gonna, that currency risk because their currencies are devalued relative to the Canadian dollar. Yeah. Um, I think that over time, that th- th- those currencies are going to give us a nice tailwind to that portfolio. They got You got some decent dividends. And people look at Japan and the euro area and say, oh, there's no growth there. But a lot of the companies that we look at, and most equity markets in general, are a lot more exposed to the global economy than their own domestic economy. And I tend to factor in a global earnings growth rate for those companies when I'm I'm looking at long-term returns. So, uh, yeah, I liked Japan. I liked the euro area. I liked the UK. Um, The U.S. has... uh, I think that Europe is going to do better over the next several years. You know, you still got some tailwinds in the U.S. from the tax package, and you know, people are starting to factor in the higher earnings from that. Um, but um, I certainly think for the next few months, I just say I like them all. Uh, I think Canada can do well in the shorter term because of the commodity tailwind. Uh, I think the general drift in the Canadian dollar may be upward a bit, which will give you some headwinds against the U.S., which will give us some headwinds in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that. Canada will play some catch up. Mm-hmm. So, John, you mentioned the the loony there. What's so what's causing it to drift higher here? Because you have down in the U.S., you've got tax reform, you've got repatriation, you've got probably better growth mm-hmm. and higher interest rates. So, all those things fundamentally would be strong for the U.S. dollar. What what's attracting, I guess, everyone to the to the loony make it uh, drift higher and uh, you know pushing uh, that purchasing power up? Yeah. Well, I think there's two questions, and I'll stick with the basic kind of Canadian dollar focus first, which is uh, if you like, come on, you know, over the long term. Commodity prices drive the big movements in the Canadian yep. dollar. You know, relative movements in Canada, U.S. monetary policy and short-term interest rates have an impact over periods of months. Uh, right now, you've got a nice run in commodities. That's a constructive factor for Canada. Uh, you've got um, you've already factored in a big divergence in monetary policy. You've got a little bit of a run recently because. There's some better numbers out of Canada, so people are factoring in a bit out of the Bank of Canada. So I think that those factors alone suggest the Canadian dollar can drift higher. I worry about NAFTA, so you want to keep your U.S. exposure up. I'm mm-hmm. not arguing about a massive overweight in Canada. The, se- the second factor, kind of going to, to the point you made, is that um, when Ronald Reagan brought in tax reform and the Fed was raising rates relative to other, the U.S. dollar soared. It's not happening this time, right. A, because the U.S. isn't raising rates that aggressively. Real mm-hmm. interest rates aren't that high. And, you know, they are getting a tax reform package, and, and certainly it's affecting the corporate sector, but the, the personal side, not much. So it's kind of interesting. The U.S. dollar should be stronger. A year ago, everybody loved the U.S. dollar because of all these things, and it just it, it, it petered out. Now everybody dislikes the U.S. dollar, uh, and these things are actually happening. So yeah, I, I, I think the, the negative U.S. dollar trade is a bit crowded right now, and that would be one of the things that would give the Canadian dollar a bit of a, a tailwind over the next several months. Yeah, I think we'll get some tailwind on that Canadian dollar. And again, I think that repatriation that Jack brought up earlier is mm-hmm. going to certainly have an upward bias to that U.S. Mm-hmm. buck. But uh, anyways, J.J., always a pleasure to have you on the show. John Johnston, strategist with Davis Ray, and a great friend of mine, 
2018 is going to be a great year, and JJ is going to be with us for the ride. Yep. We'll appreciate it. My uh, pleasure. Coming up next, we're going to have Mike Bellamy on the show to help you retire in the year 2018. What a dream, eh, Jack? Right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Get older, losing my head Many years from now Will you still be sending me a valentine? Birthday greetings, bottle of wine I'll take one of those. Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio, 640 in Toronto. Wolfgang Klein, your host. Welcome back to the show. Hope your coffee cup is full. And if this is the year that you get to say bye-bye to your... 40-year career and uh, put your feet up, get a motorhome, travel the world, call it retirement, call it the next leg of life. Michael Bellamy's on the line to help you with that. Michael, thank you very much for joining us on the show this January of 2018, my friend. Happy to be back on, Wolf. Thanks, Mike. So, um, yes, we said let's get you back on there, talk about uh, some interesting factoids about uh, financial planning. You said let's talk about retiring in 2018. So what's the buzz around retiring this year, Michael? So, I mean, we've been talking to a lot of clients. Um, this year seems to be kind of one of those years where there seems to be a few more people retiring than normal. Um, we've got a lot of clients that have been uh, starting to call us already in the new year, mm-hmm. uh, looking to retire sometime in January 2018. So mm-hmm. we've started to have those conversations with people. And a lot of times, you know, when we're doing financial plans, it's not just the numbers. It's also uh, looking at lifestyle, looking at goals, um, all those things. So. We've been suggesting to clients throughout the year, um, take a look at maybe taking an extended vacation uh, for two weeks. If you're, you know, if you're a couple or a, or a single person who's looking to maybe go somewhere warmer, um, you know, temperature's been a little bit cold here the last few days. So um, if that's something you kind of plan on doing in retirement, you know, start to maybe pick a spot down south, whether it's Florida, Costa Rica, wherever it may be, and maybe spend two weeks there. You may find that you don't even enjoy it. Uh, so highly unlikely. I'd go nuts on a beach know, after a week. Right? I really would. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty funny, Mike. I hate yeah, this retirement thing. Can't we do it back to? I like Mondays. I'm actually a Monday guy. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's something we've been suggesting to clients is, you know, you're almost practicing for retirement. So you're doing that kind of two week vacation. Other things we've been looking at for clients is, you know, start to actually create a budget. Uh, the biggest the biggest issue with when we're running financial planning is how much money are you actually going to need when the the, the working stops. Yeah, I bet you, uh, how, so, how, like, what percentage of people actually have a budget? I would say very few yeah. um, that we actually meet with, or they've done it, but then when they show me the budget, you know, they've still got dry cleaning in there, all, all these things that, you know, they may not necessarily need once retirement comes, or, you know, whether it be second cars, um, those type of things that I they say, may, it's, it's, may not need. Yeah, it's especially important for those small business owners that have been, you know, using their business to have a lot of those expenses. And mm. when they retire, they no longer have those benefits. So that's a big consideration that's for small point. business owners. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I had a, a small business owner recently who, when they gave me their um, retirement number, he'd forgotten to take out, you know, the fact that 20 to 30% of those expenses are related to the business. Right. Um, so, you know, he hadn't really thought of that before. And and um, you know a lot of things he may have written off, written off through the business as well. So 
these are all things that you need to think about when you're starting to, to kind of plan for retirement, whether it be in 2018, 2019, or 10 years from now. you got to start to think about what those expenses are going to be because the biggest number when it comes down to it is, you know, if you give us a number that you're going to spend and you're way above that number, it's going to have a drastic impact on your plan, especially in the first three years of retirement, which are kind of the biggest risk uh, time for retirees. Okay, let me ask you a very rudimentary question on, on, on budget and creating a yep. budget. How would you advise people create a budget? Well, I mean, it's a lot easier these days with everything being online. Um, you know, a lot of times we'll suggest to clients if you're not already doing it, a lot of people use their visa for the majority of their purchases and tend to pay it off at the end of the month. You know, that's an easy way to kind of track and go backwards and look at exactly what you're spending money on. Um, we suggest using a three-month average as well uh, to kind of average things out. Obviously, if the holidays or if there's odd expenses in there, one month may be a little bit higher, but you tend to get a good idea of you know how much we're spending on food um, and also, to breaking it down into fixed expenses mm-hmm. and variable. That's a key thing as well because when we're looking at fixed expenses, you know, there's a lot of products available out there. Um, you know, unfortunately, defined benefit pensions aren't in everybody's uh, financial plan these days. But there's products available that could potentially you know, look at shoring up some of those fixed expenses. Um, you know, CPP, which Canadian Pension Plan and Old Age Security help with that. But um, if you can kind of shore up some income to make sure those fixed expenses are taken care of, um, that always tends to help uh, going forward as well. Good, good advice. Uh, hang around, Mike. We're going to pay some bills around here, but uh, we want to come back to you and get some more good financial planning advice from Mike Bellamy, financial planner with Canicor Genuity Wealth Management, right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Yes, welcome back to the show. Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio, 640 in Toronto. Wolfgang Klein, your host. Jack Hartle, producer of the show. Mike Bellamy, financial planner with Canaccord Genuity, is on the line to help us retire if we were of age <laughs> in 2018. Mike, Jack, and I aren't, but certainly we like to help our clients retire comfortably, don't we? That's the name of the game. Do not outlive your money. And so Michael's been helping us with budgeting and how to create a budget. Uh, but let's cover up a couple other things here, Mike. You mentioned that uh, the, you, you have this topic called a financial diet. Uh, can you explain that to me? Yeah, so I mean... Uh, you know, everyone's always, you know, New Year's resolutions, uh, the gyms get a lot busier, everyone's trying to, to eat healthy, but nobody ever thinks about, you know, their finances when they when it comes to January. A lot of times, you know, people will start to think about RSPs, um, deadlines coming up for that, etc. But starting to, to actually look at, and similar like you would if you were dieting, is looking at, you know, what are you eating versus what are you spending? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's the question we ask in every single financial planning meeting we have, a discovery meeting, and very rarely can anybody give me an answer to that. Well, so what exactly do you mean by what are you eating? So what are you spending? Where's the money going? Uh-huh. So are you spending, you know, and a lot of times it's as simple as putting together a chart and saying, you know, is right now 40% of our spending going to variable? Um, are we spending too much eating out? Are we spending too much on cars, whatever it may be, 
But a lot of times people struggle with the question, where is your money going? Yeah, I'll tell you, you know what I spend too much money on, Mike? What? Taxes. <laughs> Everyone spends too much money on taxes. Yeah, but especially, so, especially employed people, but anyways, yeah. <laughs> so just talking about cash flow then, Mike, how much of yeah. your money do you recommend for, for clients to be saving in anticipation and preparing for retirement? So of their, of their gross income, what's, a, what's a, a reasonable number? Yeah, so I mean, we've there's you know the the old uh, book there with the uh, wealthy barber always talks about kind of that ten percent mark. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that ten percent can work, but it all depends on when you began to save as well, right? If you start saving when you're twenty five or thirty, that ten percent could work. But if you've you know expenses things come up and you haven't started saving until later in life, that number is going to move. But and there's also articles written, uh, you know, Jack and I, we were talking about this before on the radio, before we got on the radio, um, you know, looking at around age 35, kind of having roughly twice your annual income saved, um, looking at age 45, having four times, by age 55, having six times your annual salary saved, and then by 65, having roughly eight times your salary. Yeah, that, that, those are, that's a great, great benchmark. I remember that a couple of months ago when we spoke to you about that. Very, very powerful yeah. stuff, yeah. I was yeah, going to say, so it's also important to recognize, though, that we're in a low interest rate environment. So those numbers are good, but you have to save a lot to, to generate the income that you're actually going to need in retirement. Cause well, it's, JJ, it's, JJ was just talking about these bonds that, what, 1.5%, good quality corporate bonds making 1.5% for one-year money. Like, yeah, that, that'd be tough, AJ, to retire on that kind of a, a yield, shall I say. I say back in the day, and it wasn't that long ago, I mean, you'd be buying government bonds for 6 7%, and that was at least 40% of your retirement portfolio. Yeah. yeah so exactly. so what, what are the bullets do you have for us, Mike, we're in the interest of time um so some quick stuff have been some uh kind of neat trends in estate planning that we've been seeing mm-hmm. um you know estate planning hasn't really changed much in, in years but people are starting to look at you know planning for their digital properties pardon um, in their digital properties in their estate planning so whether it be if you had cryptocurrencies or you know even just looking at if you have instagram and facebook and making sure that you know, your passwords are written down for people and those type of things. Yeah, I've always wondered about it. that. The deceased, what happens to their Facebook uh, page? I, I wish I could answer that. I don't know for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but but you, mentioned, you mentioned Instagram, so yes. Yeah, yeah so that's <laughs> why, yeah, no. So, but people are putting, you know, making sure their passwords for those type of uh, online activity are available. Um, the other thing people are looking at more and more is, you know, for people who are looking after their elderly parents, um, if something did happen to them, uh, prematurely before their parents they want to make sure that they're kind of taken up taken care of yeah um so kind of including that in the will you're always thinking about your kids but you know you should maybe look the other way as well and the last one is for pet owners uh Pardon? So right now right now about 49 percent of canadians have a a family pet that they want to make sure is taken care of um, really so they, they, they they write the stuff in the will Yep, it's been a huge trend lately. Wow. Um, the top, one of the top three trends in estate planning is making sure that your fem- member of the family, a.k.a. The, the dog or the cat or whatever it might be, is taken care of should something happen to you prematurely. Oh, so, so you, know, you know what my daughter wants? What? A horse. Well, there you go. you got to make sure you look after the horse. Oh, boy. Can you imagine oh, estate <laughs> disputes over a pet? You're fighting over a cat? Oh, my God. You over a cat, falls eh? apart. Oh, good golly. That's just unbelievable, Mike. That's absolutely unbelievable. Hey, let me ask another question. In terms of millennials, in in your experience, are they saving money any better than, uh, say, Gen X or baby boomers, or are they spending it all on Jack's experience? (laughs) In my experience, they're 
they're much more keen on saving money. Uh-huh. Um, I think a lot of it has to do, especially in, in our area here in the Toronto area, with housing prices the way they are, et cetera, et cetera. They're, they're very conscious of how much things cost, mm-hmm. um, which may be surprising to some people, but um, you know, they know that you know, it's going to be tough for them, and mm-hmm. they try to saving as much as they can based on you know, uh, job earnings versus cost of living is um, you know, sometimes a bit of a mix match. So, yeah, so, yeah been, so they are aware. But I want to ask yeah. you one last question here in terms of you mentioned the word cryptocurrency. Now, if, if you don't mind me saying, you, you, you have a little experience now in trading crypto. Jack and I are newbies. We've never traded yet, so we, we are in, interested in the concept as you are. And so may we ask you about how your experience trading crypto has worked out so far? So far, it went well, but now trying to figure out how to get the money back uh, to my bank account has been the, the biggest struggle. So, so, uh, so, so you bought the, low, you sold high, but yeah. uh, the uh, the check is like a basketball sort of little rubber it, check there? It's, it's out in crypto space? Yeah. yeah, it's out in the crypto world at, this, at the moment. So, um, do you think, is, is this a common problem, do you think? Uh, people being uh, able to flip, flip the crypto back to fiat? It's been a bit of a problem, um, and we've found, or i found too recently, a lot of the um, sites that allow you to trade cryptocurrency have been down um, over the last few days. Uh, no new registrants have been available or allowed to get in, yeah. uh, just based on the volume. Mm-hmm. So these smaller companies are unable to handle the volume of trades and the volume of people signing up. I heard a couple of our big uh, banks had the same problem with their online portals. I guess uh, yeah. those people are trying to buy marijuana stocks. Anyways, yeah, look, Mike, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, you keep planning because you know what they say, if you fail to plan, you plan, plan to, fail. to fail. Yes, indeed. Cliche number one for 2018. More coming your way right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Yeah, welcome back to the show. Hi-Fi Radio 640 in Toronto, Global News Radio. Wolfgang Klein, your host, Jack Hartle, producer, gave you a little sheepdogs to help wake you up this morning and to key up our guest, Brad Lamb, who is certainly no sheep. He's apparently a lamb. How are you, sir? I'm good, thanks. How are it, you? Oh, I'm just doing terrific this Saturday morning. It's a little frigid out there, but uh, fortunately, I remain warm in my home, and I would hate to be homeless in this time of year. You know, I was thinking about you, Brad. The, um, there was a good Samaritan that walked down the streets of Toronto uh, in and around Christmas, and he actually donated hotel rooms uh, to the homeless, and uh, it actually went viral on Twitter, uh, and a number of Torontonians uh, stepped forth. But uh, tell me something. Do, do you think there's a, any, any available real estate in Toronto for the homeless? Because apparently some of the shelters were turning homeless away. Well, I mean, I'm not an expert in, in the homeless shelter situation, uh, but but I would say that uh, if it's like any any of the, the social programs, um, you know, there's going to be competition for access to them. And, and so, uh, you know, there's a solution. We can build more, more uh, shelters. I mean, you know, in the development industry, we we provide um, billions of dollars a year of levies and taxes and fees to the city of Toronto. These aren't you know land transfer taxes. They're not uh, um, 
you know, uh, consumption taxes. Yeah, they're 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 actually levies where if you build a one bedroom, you have to give the city twenty thousand dollars. It's also parks levies and all kinds of section thirty seven levies. Use some of that money to build some shelters. You know, I, I I would bet you that a few thousand beds would solve the problem. Well, do do you do you want the homelessness sleeping on your front? lobby of, of, of the economy just developed? No. Uh, and no, these people deserve not. a place to live. You know what I love about you, Brad? No matter what question I ask you, you always give us a very eloquent answer. So thank you for that little pop quiz answer. Uh, but um, I got one of your flyers here when I was down the offices the other day. And uh, fantastic piece here. It says, is Toronto's future bright? I'm just going to read an excerpt from it. The next few years of Toronto's future are bright. However, after that, I think all of these terrible political moves that have taken place are going to make Toronto a very unpleasant place to live. You're bringing me down here, Brad. Well, I hate to do that, Wolfgang, but it's, it's what I think. And so, so why is that? Let's talk about these policies. Uh, the OMB no longer exists. Is that correct? Yeah, well, you know, what, what, what the average citizen of Toronto thinks is that the OMB rules in favor of developers all the time and that they, you know, that the, it's ruining neighborhoods. But the reality is, is that um, it is the it is the place to go when the developer and the city don't see eye to eye. And the city, our city, our people who are running the city, um, have a a phobia to height, where height is was actually is actually needed and necessary. There's a phobia to it, and what the OMB provides is is that if we uh, decide to compromise, you know. I fear losing at the OMB, and the city fears losing at the OMB. So there's a stick to make us both behave. And so more, more cases, more developments settle before they go to the OMB by a mile than that actually go to the OMB. Without that as a, as a stick to hold the city back, projects that would be, you know, propose 20, settle at 16, mm-hmm. those, those projects the city won't let you go now above 10. And so what it means is, Developers just won't build them because there's no money to be made unless they can get 1,500 a foot instead of 1,200 a foot because the lost uh, density, the lost sellable density, just like anything, it's a business. It's, there's, a, there's economies of scale. It's just like anything. And so if the economies of scale shrink to the point where you can't build anymore, you won't build. You won't manufacture. And, and so this is the single worst thing that's happened to Ontario in the last 50 years. I, I swear to you. Uh, it's a it's an absolute disaster. I don't think that the average citizen knows what this means for Toronto, but what it does mean is real estate prices are going to skyrocket due to due to supply constraints. Plain and simple. I, I'm going to tell you, I was at an architect's office yesterday. One of the biggest architects in Toronto have done hundreds of high-rise condos. All of their business is in the 905 and in the hinterlands now. Mm-hmm. They're not doing anything downtown. My project I was visiting about was two and a half acres I own in, in Mississauga that we're going to do some, some condos and townhouses. It's not happening downtown. Already the shift has happened. The OMB was killed on the 13th of December. Already the industry has pivoted. It's over. Wow. It's over. Move that quick, eh? Yep. You know, it's amazing because a few years ago, and I remember going to a, a concert and the artist got on stage and said, hey, thank you, Toronto, for having me. And boy, what a lot of cranes in the sky. But as I look out the uh, studio windows here at uh, Queen's Key, uh, Dockside Drive, Course Entertainment, uh, broadcasting, of course, to the world, uh, I don't see a lot of skies. I see a little few clouds of uh, smoke coming off of the cold sky that we have in front of us here. But look, Brad, Brad hang around, please. I want to ask you some more questions. Stay on, stay on key here with respect to the condo market in Toronto, but we got to pay some bills right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
I feel warmer now. Burning down the house. Uh, Brett Lamb is on the line with us. Uh, President CEO of Lamb Developments, Lamb Realty. Um, just a fantastic Toronto entrepreneur who's built a fantastic company over the last couple of decades. Um, so if anyone knows what's going on in the world of real estate development south of Bloor, it certainly would be Mr. Lamb. Uh, so again, I want to go back to this Q&A here with Brad Lamb because uh, a lot of very, very important points here in terms of what is bugging Brad right now? Well, um, we discussed one issue. I just want to clarify that there are probably 100,000 units in the pipeline that will get done. So it's not, it's not instantaneous. We work five years in advance. So I'm saying three, five years from now, we have a major problem. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that the, there's so many things that have happened in, in, in the real estate industry this year that have just uh, kind of snuffed it out. Um, you know, the, the, the uh, foreign investor tax is just it's completely asinine. It makes absolutely no sense to discourage foreign investment in Canada. They're a very tiny part of home ownership in, in Toronto. To create this draconian tax for 5% ownership, uh, it's, it's, it's just ludicrous. It sends the wrong, wrong signal to the world that Toronto's not open for business. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the um, change of the Landlord uh, and Tenancy Act um, it, you know, to 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 have anything built after 1991, part of the of the of these draconian uh, regulations. You know, what it's done is it's again it's made developers who deliver these products pivot very quickly away from rental and back into condo or into doing nothing. And so projects, I can tell you, there's one called the Kingley, which is an office building condominium project on King Street West being done by uh, Allied Canadian and RioCan. They had an apartment building of 130 units. It's almost completed. They decided to pivot, convert it to condos, sold it out in a weekend. It's done. So it's 130 rentals that aren't going to happen downtown. Now, this is happening in dozens and dozens of circumstances, and the premier should open her eyes. She has killed the rental economy. And what that means is the, the poor guy that's currently paying 1000 a month thinks it's going to stay that way. It's not. That, that $1,000 a month apartment is going to go up. It's going to go up to $1,200 to $1,300. And it's not going to necessarily be his apartment, but the same apartment down the road that's new will have to get that kind of number to make any sense. So, so Brad, with this new supply of rental coming into the condo market, do you see the condo market being flooded in the next one, two, three years? There is no supply of rental coming. The supply of rental... That's what I'm saying, being transitioned into condos. No, because it, because you know it was it was never uh, a gigantic portion of the industry. You know there might have been ten apartment buildings uh, proposed in the downtown core. Uh, a few were under construction. I can think of two or three. They're all going to pivot to more than likely a, a couple have already. But I think the the other one I'm thinking about will probably pivot to condo. But no, it's it's not. It, it's it's like a, you know. 400 units here or there in the condo market will make a difference, but they make a huge difference in the rental market because we haven't built rental buildings since the 1960s. Yeah, no, I was going to ask the question, when's the last, because so, we see them in Toronto. I see them. They're, 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 they're decrepit, dilapidated, decaying buildings that are rentals. They're, they're, they're all over the city. Yeah. And they, they've received no CapEx whatsoever. Of course. And yet the, 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 po- the population why. since the 60s must be in Toronto must be up 2 million people. And the reason for that is rent controls came in 1970 or 1971, and the next day the rental market building rentals just ended it ended so, and so for so it, for 50 years we, we, we went on with very little being added in the city and just in the last three years because rents had gone up a fair amount it now seemed like the sweet spot where we could get a few thousand of these things built in toronto and make some money 
make a fair yeah, return on investment. Fair return, but also deliver some apartments where people aren't going to get kicked out every two years. Correct. Yeah, apartments. absolutely. Yeah, and now that's over. It's done. The premier put a gun to that industry. I just I don't understand the point of it. But uh, so that that's that's really bugging me. Um, and, and the other thing that's bugging me is that the City of Toronto councillors and planning department have created multiple things called HCDs, Heritage Controlled Districts. They've gone across the city and made buildings that for 60 years were not historic. And now overnight, they've decided they're all historic and they've locked down neighborhoods saying, you can't touch these buildings, they're a part of a district. And what that done is taken, it's taken hundreds of thousands of condo units out of the marketplace because they'll never get built. Let me ask you, are those buildings really historic in your eyes? And, and what type of buildings are no, we talking about here? They're not. they're not at all. Well, I own several of them. I can tell you that I own a block of seven houses downtown that was going to be a, a hotel. And, and they're all the same house. They're all crap houses that have no architectural merit whatsoever. They're you, you yeah, knockdowns. People right. think they're gross. Yeah. I mean, architecturally gross. And, and, and the middle one was selected as an architect. The middle one. Yeah, yeah. the middle one. Yeah. So now I can't do anything. Yeah, no, we, no, we, we tore all, and you know this better than I do, but we tore all our beautiful brownstones down in Toronto back in the 60s. We had a ton of brownstones, gorgeous buildings in Toronto. Gone. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, there was mistakes made, and that's why they've created sure. this board. But I'll say <laughs> yeah. that. But they, so you got to keep your crap up. Yeah, well, they, they, they have, they have um, registered some important buildings. Sure. And they have, a, and this is a meritful position that, that is, you know, that's being taken by the city generally. This particular position is just a ruse. It's just an attempt to lock down and stop development. And the question is why? What's the agenda of the City of Toronto Planning Department, the mayor, and the councillors. What is their agenda? Why are they trying to do this? Let me ask you on a final note here, Brad, because money goes where it's most welcome. Jack repeats that to me over and over again, and Jack is right with that statement. But again, you have gone west, young man. So tell me something. In terms of the multiple markets that you have worked in in Canada, which is the most friendliest to Brad? Uh, well, you know, Ottawa, Ottawa is a very friendly market. Calgary, Edmonton are friendly. Montreal is pretty friendly. And by yeah. the way, Hamilton is pretty friendly. The most unfriendly market to Brad is Toronto. <laughs> wow. Your town, pal. Your town. My town. Oh, boy. What did you do to it, eh? Yeah, you made it better. You made it more habitable. Uh, well, we love you here at uh, Hi-Fi Radio, my good friend. And we're going to get you back on air just to keep us in tune with what's going on south of Bloor, the condo market. Uh, folks, that's it for Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio, 640 in Toronto. Jack Hartle did a great job producing. John Johnson sat through the entire show. Good to have him present. Gives me a little comfort. And I want to thank you again for listening. And each and every Saturday morning, we will be here to help you with your money. listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.